0: All right, good evening, everybody. We are going to be at Acts chapter 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 14. Dr. Luke is faithfully documenting the first missions trip of Paul and Barnabas as we track them and follow them from city to city, preaching the gospel wherever they go. Last week with John Mark leaving them in the middle of the mission trip, we're actually right at the beginning of this missions trip. Um, it's just these two guys now. Uh, son of encouragement, that'd be Barnabas. And then you've got Saul, um, who is now Paul. He's been changed, but he was... Uh, He's a very fiery guy. He was a fiery guy before the Lord got a hold of him, and he's still a fiery guy after God got a hold of him, just in the right direction now, which uh, you know is always encouraging to us parents, right? Uh, he got a crazy kid, but he's going to be a crazy kid for the Lord someday. That's what you're hoping. So, um, Saul or Paul is God's crazy kid, and he's very bold, very bold, and when he shares the gospel, and I want to as we follow this, to see that Barnabas is doing it as well, even though he's called son of encouragement, even though he is the guy that brings along John Mark, the young guy. He is the guy that goes and gets Paul, you know, when he's been left out of the loop as far as the ministry goes. And even though he is the guy later on in chapter 15, which will be next week, that he goes and takes uh, this John Mark under his wing, He's still a very bold preacher, enough to the point where he gets kicked out of the cities just as much as Paul does. As we see this in chapter 14, as the gospel is preached to the entire crowd, some get saved and some don't. That's very important to remember when you're in ministry. You're all in ministry. Every one of us is in ministry. Every one of us has a specific calling from God. I know what mine is. You should know what yours is, or at least be praying about what yours is. But we all have ministries. Nobody's in the ministry, and I'm not in the ministry. We all have a ministry, but keep that in mind. It doesn't matter which part of the body you are, what your role is, or your responsibility. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. And it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to preach the truth. To be bold for Christ. So in verse 1 of chapter 14, now it happened in Iconium. They remember they got kicked out of the last place uh, by the rulers and they shook the dust off their feet like they're supposed to. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now they've moved on to Iconium, another city, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude. Both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. There's a lot there. I'm going to unpack this slowly, I think. First of all, he goes to the Jews. They go to the Jews. That's their first that's how they operate. That, that's their open door to the community. They, it's like an open mic on Saturdays at the synagogues. And when new people or new Jews would come into town, they'd say, hey, do you have anything to share? Some, some encouragement. They, there's usual stuff they do on Saturday. But then, hey, you guys got to want to share something? You bet. Love to tell you about the Messiah in Jerusalem. You've heard about Jesus. We're here to tell you we are witnesses. And they would go on and give him the whole gospel. And this was exciting to some and not so exciting to others, but they would always go to the synagogues first. That was their door. That was their way in. So they spoke in such a way, it says there, that a great multitude, a huge multitude, I don't know how busy synagogue was, but a great multitude heard this and many believed. Many got excited about the Lord, but many didn't. They're all hearing the same words. They're getting the same power of the Holy Spirit coming off Paul and Barnabas, however you want to look at that. I don't want to get weird on you. But whatever it is that they're hearing, they're hearing two different things. One person's rejecting it utterly, and the other person's accepting it. And those who received it gladly are totally blessed and blown away, and the others are just angry, and they get mad. And that's just common. And if that was common for Paul, and that was common for Barnabas, I mean, these are some big guys, right? It's going to be common for us too, and to not be discouraged at that. It's common. That's how it is. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. You know, we, 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 the world doesn't understand that because they don't study scriptures. They don't like the parts that they don't like. And so they don't read the whole counsel of God. But Jesus said specifically, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. I came to separate people. You're either for me or you're against me. I'm here to let you know. Here's the truth. In love, you're either for me or against me. And if you're not for me, you are against me. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. There's no, uh, I'm going to see what happens kind of thing. If you're not on my team, then you're not on my team. You're on the other team. And so don't be surprised that when we preach Jesus, that sides are chosen. People pick their side. It's important when I come to God's Word that I pick a side. Is that side, am I going to land on the side of God on this, even though the spotlight was shining on me? You know, I don't like that. I don't think anybody likes that. Nobody likes to be criticized. You know, we even say we like constructive criticism. I don't like constructive criticism at all. Honestly, as a human being, as a man, I want you all to look at me and say, that was perfect. And that's it. That's all I want you to say. And I want to walk away from that with that feeling. You're right. I am perfect. I'm glad you see that. You know. Nobody likes to be criticized from each other. But if you can come to God and get to know who he is and understand who Jesus is, for some reason, and I don't know how he does it, but he is so good at criticizing me that I love it. I I take it. I'm like, ah you're right, that's me. And he's slapping me on the back. He goes, yep, that's you. And that'd offend me if you were doing that to me, but not when he does it. I love God. I love Jesus. I don't mean that in the kind of the, uh, don't we all just, don't we all love Jesus? No, I mean, I just love everything about him. I love the way he talks to me. I love the way his word speaks to my heart. I just love the way he does the things he does. It's just amazing that I don't get mad at him ever. So they go to the Jews first. A great multitude believed. Half of them didn't believe. I say half. I guess we don't have numbers, but a lot believed and a lot didn't we'll leave it at that. And the Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren because that's what they do. That's what the unbelievers do. That's all they have in their bag of tricks is to poison the minds of others and we talked about that before. Jesus really really doesn't like people that get in between him and the people he's trying to reach. And when a person comes alongside another person and whispers in their ear telling them that's not true, that's not right, don't do that, you just got the attention of God. And that isn't the kind of attention you want from your father, you know. It's like at the dinner table, right? Everything's going fine all of a sudden Dad's fork and knife aren't clinking anymore. And you kind of look up cuz you've been goofing around too much. Maybe you never had this, but you've been goofing around too much and you're like, it's awfully quiet at that end of the table and you look up and dad's looking right at you. This isn't the attention I was going for here. I was trying to bother my sister. I didn't mean to get your attention, dad, you know. Go about your business. That's the idea here. You get you get the attention of the Lord in the wrong way and you're going to Well, you're going to get the spanking, you know. These guys are poisoning the minds of others against the brethren. I'm going to make it difficult on you, hard on you. So, that being said, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. God's restoring your marriage. God's helping you in the workplace. God's changing your life because you just came to know the Lord and everything seems to be turned upside down or right side up for the first time. Do you think Satan's going to let it happen Is he going to just say, you know, whatever's good for you is good for you? No, he puts up a fight and he begins to poison the minds of the people around you, telling you, encouraging them to be a pain or a thorn in your side so that it stops. I'm not going to make it easy on you, Satan says. I'm not going to just let this happen. I'm not giving up ground. He doesn't give up ground. And so he's poisoning up their minds. He has had some serious ground here in Iconium, undisputed champion of this city. And then these guys walk in speaking boldly, you know. And he just lost half of his team. He's not happy about it. And so the fight begins, the war begins. Guys, it's a spiritual battle, and it will take place, and it is taking place. The fact that you even made it here tonight is amazing. It could probably have a show of hands of how many people had to struggle to get here because one thing came up or another thing came up. It could be as simple as a flat tire or it can be as extreme as a fight with your wife or a fight with your husband that can keep you from coming. Just not finding the shoes for the three-year-old. How do you lose one? Didn't you take them off in the same spot? What do you mean it's not there? Did you look everywhere? Of course you did. Little things. Satan will do whatever's necessary. And he fights us. And he fights God. And he fights the Holy Spirit. And he fights with our flesh. I mean, he just, that's what he does. So, they continued though. As soon as the poisoned minds were there, therefore, because the poisoning of the minds is taking place, look at this, therefore, they stayed there a long time. That's Grit right? I like that. Oh, you want to fight? Let me dig in, you know, kind of thing. We're going to be here a while. Let me get a trench or two dug, and we're going to fight here. They stayed a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. They didn't soften their message to reach the untouchables and the unreachable. They said, oh, you don't like what we said? Well, what about this? And they it's not for fighting's sake, but remember what we're doing here. This is sword on sword. This is clashing. This is fighting. This is, you're trying to break down. You're trying to capture ground. You're trying to, for the hearts of men, for eternity's sake. This isn't about growing a church. This isn't about growing your brand. This is about eternity. Souls are going to hell forever. Or souls are going to heaven forever. Salvation is on the line. And these guys understood what was at stake and they fought accordingly. Oh, you're going to poison their minds? Well, how do you fight that? With truth, with love. And it says it was granted to them, granted to them, that signs and wonders be done by their hands afterwards. That was meant to emphasize or put the exclamation point or the proof that what they were saying was true. Everything we told you about God wasn't our opinion. It wasn't a philosophy or a theory. The very wonders and signs that we performed prove that what we say is of God. Nobody got saved by the signs and wonders. We learned that last week. And we're going to learn that in this chapter too. But what they got saved by was the words that were spoken. In chapter 13, last week, chapter 13, verse 12, it said they were astounded at the teaching of the word. This is after the miracles were done, after the blindness was given to that guy. Remember, uh, Paul prayed for a guy to be blind for a while. Then he gets this, you know, he walks around blind, and the guy that Paul was trying to reach was astonished at the teaching of the Word. The teaching of God's Word should be astonishing to us. When I open up the Bible and I read it, it should astonish me. And I don't mean you have to go, 15. I mean, I don't mean it like that, but it should still be striking us in the heart, encouraging us, building us up. It should still be God's Word to us and not a textbook, you know, it should be astonishing. I get excited. I, I don't, and, and you know this, if you've been here for any amount of time, I don't, I don't worship this. This is just ink, paper, and some leather arranged in a way that I can understand the heart of God and his word. You understand that? It's so like when this gets all used up, I write in the margins and I fill it up. When I'm done, I throw it in the trash can. There's no ceremony. And I go buy another one. But that being said, on my my office is my car. So when I study or whatever when I need to get away that's my office and and my bible is usually over in the passenger seat. I you know it's don't no co-pilot jokes or anything like that but it's it's over there and there's times when I'll just look at it and just there's a fondness for it. Be, not because of what it is or because I really like the color or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. It, there's a fondness for this for this bible. Because it means so much to me. Because it's changed me so much. Because it's so powerful in my life. His sword is so powerful. And so I look at it with fondness. You know. Special to me. You know. It changes me. The signs and wonders don't. The signs and wonders are great. Not going to diminish. Yes. Healings and all these things are fantastic. But nobody ever gets saved from those things. They get saved from the word of God. And the teaching of the word of God. It astonishes people. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided. It's typical. Part sided with the Jews and part sided with the, or part with the apostles. And when, a viol- and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. I put the emphasis because I was trying to figure out, where's the emphasis there? They preached wherever they went. They just moved on to the next two cities. They, they moved this week from, well, wherever to Iconium, and from now they go to Iconium, they go to Lystra, and, and, and they just move around to these cities. But wherever they go, the ministry doesn't stop. Even though there's some uh, pushback, even though there was a lot of pushback, they discipled the guys, they spoke boldly, they got these guys r- off and running with their walk with Jesus, and when they were going to kill him, they didn't go running after martyrdom. There are times, I mean, Paul's going to get stoned here in a few, you know, uh, paragraphs um, in this chapter, but there are times when it happens, but they're not looking to die. No matter what happens to Paul, he's always looking to get back into the fight. He's always looking to, hey, patch me up, or at, later on, this, they're going to pray for him. And he's going to rise from the dead and kind of go back into the city again and um, but whatever it was, he wants back into the fight. He's never discouraged by the trial or the tribulation or the pushback. He's not discouraged by that. That just gets him riled up. It just gets him going a little bit more. And that, what a great example that is for all the folks watching him, you know. Why aren't you upset? Why aren't you downturned? Why don't these things move you? He writes a really wonderful yeah, it's a, it's a whole, he just goes off at, at one point and says, None of these things move me, you know. And he describes, he goes through a list of all these things, none of these things move me. And it's encouraging. As, you know, as a guy, you're reading it, you're going, Yeah, mm, you know, it makes you want to, you know, I don't know how you spiritually flex your, flex your muscles inside, but it's like, Yeah, you know, none of these things move me. None, nothing moved Paul we're going to abuse and stone you. Well, we don't we don't want to die. We've already got the church established. We're going to keep moving on in the mission. Because if we die now, they knew, now well, they want to run up and catch him and get him, fine, but they knew they had other people to minister to. There's more things to do. So, they move on to the next city. They spoke so boldly, they had such an impact on the city that they got ran out of town. Sometimes I wonder if, um, well, I don't need to wonder, but I think it's a fact. I think we've softened the message of Jesus so much that if we were to get run out of town for preaching Jesus so boldly in the town that they had to get rid of us, that a lot of ministers would say, you failed. You failed because you didn't reach them. See, if you'd read my book that I wrote about how to reach the lost, you'd have a 98% success rate as opposed to a 50% success rate paul you know he must have done something wrong if they kicked him out of town because what good does that do anybody look at all those lost people that didn't get to know jesus because you had to be so bold and so upfront and so in their face all the time you know now paul was never offensive to be offensive very important i don't i don't want to just be a brash irritating person If I am, that's all me. That has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I can be that way sometimes. But I don't want to do that on purpose, in the name of Jesus. Did I offend you? Good. Job done. No, I want to reach the lost. And in so doing, if I'm so steadfast in the truth, so unwavering in my speech and what I believe, that it offends you, that's fine. That's the idea behind it. They were so unwavering. We will not bow. We will worship Jesus. He is the Messiah. We have no doubt about it. How could you be so confident? You're so arrogant. You're so prideful, Paul. No, I just know what I believe. It may look like arrogance to you, it may look like pride to you, but it's confidence in whom I trust. Are you confident in Jesus? Or do you waver? You know, Do I waver when someone comes up to me and says, so is Jesus? are you one of those guys that believes that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? Do you hesitate and say, well, um, inside you want to say yes, but maybe outside you're like, well, how do I soften this? Because I know if I just look at him and say, yep, that's not going to go well. I might offend. I might divide. I may never have another conversation with this person. I want to make... It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's confidence in the one you believe to look a person in the eye and say, absolutely, I believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man will come to the Father but by him. And if you don't have him or if I don't have him, neither of us are going to heaven. But if we do have him, we will go to heaven. Bold, confident isn't pride and arrogance. It's, it's assuredness. So they got kicked out. The son of encouragement, Barnabas, gets kicked out with Paul. And in Lystra, a certain man with, without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. This has happened before, hasn't it? But this is this is Paul's turn. Before it was, was it Peter and John, right? Went up to the hour of prayer. And this is someone else. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, very important. Paul and Barnabas don't know the Lyconian language. All they see is the people speaking in another language, all excited. And they're like, yes. Isn't this great? This guy has never been able to walk, and now he can. Praise God. Isn't he awesome? And they're all excited, but they're excited for two different reasons. So in the Lyconian language, they say this. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. But to them, it sounded like, blugga, 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 blugga. You know, they're like, yeah, blugga, whatever, dude. God is awesome. They're not thinking, or they're not, they're not connecting here. And Barnabas, wait, And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, so this is going on for a long time, so long that someone's run and told the priest of Zeus's temple in the city that the gods have come down to us, and this priest is going to come out with a sacrifice here to offer it up, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought an oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now this is when Paul and Barnabas get a clue. Everybody's excited. Where are you going? Oh, they're going to tell other people about the Lord. They're all going to come here and listen. And they, you know, they does not hear what they're saying. And all of a sudden, this priest is coming down with this sacrificial ox with this big garland around it. You know, And they're like, hmm, this isn't exactly what we thought. So, but when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. That just got them more excited. So they see this priest coming down, with the, and they figure out what's going on. And they run in, and in true Jewish form, they tear their clothes. I mean, that's like old school Jew, right? They're ripping their clothes, going, You know, kind of thing, to show also their flesh. You know, we're just men. We're not glowing underneath these clothes. But that's what they would do. When there was such a blasphemy spoken, the, the... what they thought was blasphemy, they would rip their clothes. They would tear their garments, you know, in anguish. Oh, I cannot believe it. And that's a humbling thing. Look at me, I'm broken. These are really valuable, but they're nothing compared to you, Lord. That's the idea. So they're, they're, they're doing this. They're pulling their, they're shredding their clothes going, no, 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 we're just men. You know, don't do this. And so they try to explain to him, but look what they say. Look at how they explain it to them. No, no, no. We're trying to deliver you from these useless things. That's a bold thing to say to someone whose life is wrapped up and revolved around it, you know? No, I'm trying to deliver you from that useless thing. That whole temple that you guys spent all that money on building for Zeus, it's useless. Everything you've ever done for that god in that temple that you made is absolutely useless. That's a hard thing to hear. He doesn't pull any punches. there's no well let's talk about this let's let's build a relation don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with building relationships and working your way towards these truths but this is a point where look guys we're here to tell you about jesus and 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 know what you do isn't okay and it's not the same and jesus isn't going to join that and we're not a part of that and it's not just a a better understanding of what you've currently been doing we're saying, like Paul knows about his past, it's all dung. All of it is dung. Everything until Jesus. Jesus is everything. And he tells them that right to their faces. And then he describes to them and explains to them, not going to the Old Testament, reading scriptures out of Zechariah, or reading scriptures out of Genesis or Exodus. He talks about the things that are around them. Because they don't know the Old Testament. They don't know anything about it. They have no background. In the temple, absolutely. You can talk about Isaiah. You can talk about all the prophecies, Psalm 22, Genesis 22, whatever. You can talk about all these things because there's some groundwork there. These guys were Greeks. We worship Zeus and Hermes. Okay, hold on, hold on. He made the sea. He made the earth. He made all the things that you see. Those are the witnesses all around you. The rain that comes. He showed you those. He made that stuff for you. He made that for you. That's the one we're talking about, not Zeus. And when he describes all these wonderful things about the God they serve, they, could still, they couldn't stop themselves or tried to scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. It just got them more excited. So that didn't go well. It does give you more opportunity, though, to speak, to maybe lay out some more truths, some more groundwork, but it didn't go well. Now, verse 19. Look at the difference between 18 and 19. Same people. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. These are the people that were going to worship them in 18, and in 19, the same people pick up rocks and kill him. A good lesson. When people ascribe the great things that's happening in their lives and the wonderful things they're hearing to a person or to a man or to a ministry, they're fickle. You're great. You're awesome. I can't believe it. That's great. Until they hear something they don't like. And then they want to kill you kind of thing. When you're Bringing someone along in the Lord, that's the word I like to use, or that's how I like to put it. I don't like to say discipling someone, because I don't want to disciple someone. I want them to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to point them to Jesus. I want them following Jesus. I want them having their own conversations with Jesus in prayer. I want them to read the Word of God as if it's coming from Jesus, you know? And that way, when something is said, remember we talked about that at the beginning, when something said to them that doesn't, line up with their behavior, and God says, I want to change that about you. It's God saying it. It's not just you. I think that's where we get a lot of the, why are you Christians so judgmental? We're really not. We're just telling you what the Bible says. But the problem is they ascribe what's said in the Bible to you as opposed to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus. We have to be careful that people aren't following us or you. I don't want to disciple someone. I don't want to have coffee with someone for 17 Saturdays in a row, telling them all about Jesus one-on-one. I'm just not that kind of person. I, I think it's dangerous. I think in a moment like this, on a Wednesday night, we're all hearing the Word of God. I'm learning just as much as you are. I was just as blessed studying it as you are hopefully receiving it tonight. And we all walk away saying, isn't God good? That's how it's supposed to be. But if the people ascribe it to the person like they do with Zeus and Hermes here, it doesn't take much of a whisper in their ear to get them to pick up rocks and to throw it at them. Now, they killed Paul here. They dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead, which means he might not have been. Dr. Luke would have probably said, and he died, and we raised him from the dead. So he probably wasn't dead dead. That reminds me of Princess Bride. He's not dead dead. He's not all the way dead. He's mostly dead. Anyway, sorcery, we probably shouldn't talk about that. Supposing him to be dead. Now, here's the thing. Paul writes about this in Galatians six, seventeen, he says, I bear the marks of Jesus. He certainly does. And can you imagine as he's being stoned by people? What do you think's run through his mind? Now, you remember when he made that guy blind last week? He was probably thinking of what? When he was blind. As he's getting stoned to death, what do you think he's thinking about? Stephen, absolutely. This is what Stephen went through. I wonder if I can do it like Stephen did it. This really hurts. I can't believe Stephen had the face of an angel. I don't know what he was thinking, but I can't imagine he wasn't thinking about that. 2 Corinthians 11.25, 2 Corinthians 12 describes the vision of heaven. Paul says, I knew such a man that was caught up into the third heaven. What he means by that, obviously, is the blue sky, space, black sky, and then beyond the third heaven where God is outside of both of those realms. And most believe that he's describing this event right here, that he had that moment, an outer body experience, an in heaven kind of experience here. We don't know for a fact, though. Anyway, um, reminded him of that. Reminded him of that. And so they kill him, and here's what happens. However, when the disciples gathered around him after he was stoned to death and drug outside the city, he rose up and went into the city. Went back into the town. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Derbe. I don't really know what happened. He just got back up and walked back in. I don't think I'd go back in the city. I'd probably move on or sleep outside. The nearest terebinth tree would have been fine, you know. But he goes back in. I think he wanted to leave when he wanted to leave. I'll leave when God wants me to leave. They drug me out. I'm going to walk out of here. I don't know. I like it, though. It's encouraging to me. Nothing is turning him away from the ministry that God's called him to. I'm going to do this. Remember, there is a big ministry going on, the church worldwide right now. This is one missions team of Paul and Barnabas, and they're off doing exactly what God wants them to do. We don't know what's going on every place else, but that's none of our business. God doesn't want us to know that. We're tracking these two guys. But these guys go city to city to city. There's always disciples, but they don't leave usually until they get thrown out of the place kind of thing, until there's absolutely a divided line. I like it. a good model for us. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and uh, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. As they went back through these towns, imagine what Paul looks like after being pummeled to death by rocks, and he goes back through, I'm here to strengthen and encourage you, you know. <sighs> how are you now? <laughs> Can we get you a Band-Aid, Paul? And as they're looking at his swollen eye or it's shut or whatever, and his, who knows who knows how Luke's got him all patched up. Luke was like his personal physician. As they're looking at him, he says, we've got to go through many tribulations and trial standard of the kingdom. This is unusual. We're not doing it wrong. These aren't the marks of failure. These are the bruises of, we did it, you know, of actually doing what God's called us to do. And I think that'd be surprising to a lot of people. I didn't think ministry was supposed to be like this. I thought it was going to be easy. But I think, you know, as you read Peter writing about it and Paul, of course, writing about it, God, God's, not his only tool, maybe not even his best tool, but a very serious tool in God's tool bag to make us into who we're supposed to be is suffering. He tells that. You, you have the fellowship of Christ. You fellowship in his sufferings. Paul gets to have a fellowship with Stephen, the first martyr, more than anybody else can identify. I know exactly what Stephen went through now because I just went through that. I know the sufferings. I share in those sufferings. I have a fellowship with Jesus that, you know, and we've talked about this. It's like two cancer survivors in the same room with everybody else who hasn't had cancer. They tend to talk a little bit more than everybody else. You know, oh, didn't you hate your third round of chemo? Oh my goodness, I couldn't stop puking. Tell me about it, you know. And all of a sudden there's this fellowship that isn't with anybody else. How close do you want to be to Christ? How much do you want to be like him? There's a fellowship in his sufferings and Paul has that. How do you learn patience? How do you learn long suffering? I don't know if I want to learn short suffering. Let alone the long suffering side of things. But how do you learn those things? How do you become that? How do you how are you humble if your pride isn't constantly smashed? How do you how do you fellowship in the in in long suffering if you don't suffer for a long time? How do you learn patience unless you have to wait and wait and wait some more? How do you learn all those things? This is a great tool. And he tells him that. It's his second time he's ministered. This is his second time at at these churches. Guys, I just wanted to let you know that through many tribulations we're going to enter, you get to to do this too. This is going to be a great thing in your life. You're going to suffer. Not the great tribulation, but many tribulations. Peter even says, don't, don't count it strange when these fiery trials come upon you. Don't be surprised at these things. Jesus said it himself. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Look what they did to him. Nobody hates me like they hate Jesus. I don't know if that's a goal of mine, but I've never been crucified. I've never been whipped. Nobody ever tried to throw me off a cliff, you know, yet. I'm just saying. I hope we hear that tonight in verse 22 we must, we must, not we might, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, are you kidding me? How old are these places? How old are the churches? A year? Two? Maybe? Not even that? Six months? Bob, you're still here. You're the elder. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know. Amazing. They knew. And I don't know if they had some special insight. The sermon. I think they do. If you're looking at a guy who's been crippled from his birth and you're able to see that he has enough faith to be healed and you tell him to get up and he does, there's something going on there. you know. So maybe they had some special insight. Bob's going to be here for a long time. you know. So Bob, you get to be the elder or one of the elders anyway. And they laid hands on him so that there's some structure because so, he knew these folks are going to need to meet together. They're going to have to learn together. They're going to have to bear one another's burdens. They're going to have to get to know each other and rely on one another. Of course, they rely on Christ. But as they rely on Christ, they're going to need to come together as a church, in every church. Of course, there's one big church. We like to say that. But even Luke writes it that way. They appointed elders in every church, which means there's more than one. And we got them also. And prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they they had believed. Commended means we're leaving you in God's hands. God's got you. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had reached the word, uh, preached the word, excuse me, uh, in Perga, they went down to um, Atalia. Atalia, maybe. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work of which they completed. So they made it all the way back. First missionary trip. They're back home now. They're back. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they get back to their home church. They let them know, hey, the trip was great. What happened to your arm, Paul? Boy, do I have a story. And all the guys were like, yeah, we prayed for him, and he got back up. It was, I mean, imagine the, imagine the potluck they had that night, you know, telling them everything that happened. And it was so encouraging. You know what I love about 14? And, and we're going to spend some time in prayer tonight. What I love about 14 is no one's ever done it before. So they're not doing it wrong. They don't know if they're doing it right. They're just going out and talking about Jesus. I love it. What do we do with these guys? I don't know when we're going to ever see them again. I guess we better lay hands on them and appoint some elders because they need to kind of get together and say, "Okay, they're just kind of figuring it out as they go." I love this, and when they don't know what to rely on because they don't have past experience and no one's ever gone where they're go- where they're going, no, one, there is no one. To, you know, well, Bob's got a book on how to start a church, church planting. This is in chapter three. They don't have anything like that. They're truly, truly, completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. They're completely reliant upon God's word. They have no idea what to do except what he tells them to do next. That is so sweet. That's such a great thing. I'm all for missions trips. I think we should go on as many missions trips as you can go on, as God allows. I think your best missions trip is when you show up not knowing what you're going to do. you know, we got off the plane, and okay, and we prayed, God, we don't know where we're going to stay tonight, we don't know what to do, and a brother walked by and says, I heard you say in prayer, and I just learned English yesterday, I mean, you know, these things kind of happen, you know, would you stay at my house tonight, great, thank you, God, for the answer, prayer. we're going to Bob's house, Bob, how long have you been with the Lord, well, about a week now, great, perfect, you know, and all of a sudden, things just start clicking, what do you want to do tomorrow, I don't know, do you have a town square, yeah, all, there's a bunch of kids out there. Every day. All right, I guess we're going to do children's church out there tomorrow morning. Let's get up at 9 a.m., pray over the place, and get ready to go. Just boom, 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 you know? I love chapter 14. Nobody knows how to do it right. They do it. God takes care of them. God covers them. In their, in their ignorance of how ministry is supposed to be done, God starts, what, four churches here? exciting. Exciting. So let's spend some time in prayer together. We've got about 15 minutes or so. Let's break up into groups of three or four, as many as you want to. I think we've got enough time that if you want to do a bigger group, that's fine too. If you want to sit by yourself, that's fine too. You don't ever have to, you know, I don't like praying in front of people. I'm not, you don't have to. Just sit there and spend time with the Lord, but let's pray. Let's seek the Lord for marriages, your marriage. I don't even want to tell you what to pray for. Just pray as the Lord leads.